Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 766 with Chef Lee Frank. Working for them, and the big lessons that I've learned from them were the importance of the front of the house. So many times, chefs get locked into, it's all about the food. It's all about the food. You know, it's not. It's all about the experience overall. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Insights, tools, and training to build a better restaurant, better business, and better life. That's what you get with restaurantowner.com. And honestly, as far back as I can remember over the past eight years, I think Restaurant Owner is probably the most recommended resource on the show for independent restaurant owners. And right now, I've struck a special deal with restaurantowner.com. When you join Restaurant Unstoppable Network, you get six months free access to restaurantowner.com. That's a great deal. Not to mention your first 30 days of Restaurant Unstoppable Networker on us. So what are you waiting for? Get on it. This episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And Seven Shifts is trusted by over 400,000 restaurant professionals because it gives you the tools you need to streamline labor operations, communicate with your team, and retain your talent. And because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.sevenshifts.com slash unstoppable that's the number seven s-h-i-f-t-s dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free what are you doing right now i'll tell you what you're doing if you're in the market for a new pos you're headed to toasttab.com slash unstoppable to set up your own demo and you're going to find out why it's the most recommended pos on the show by a landslide guys if you use my link not only will you get the incentives that toast is offering you by using the link I'll also share my commission with you. I'll split my commission with you 50-50 after taxes. That's about $2,000. So I'll send you a check for $1,000 to say thank you and to help support you during these weird times. Again, head over to toasttab.com slash unstoppable. What's going on, Unstoppables? We have such a great episode for you today. But before I hit play on that, I want to remind you how you can support Restaurant Unstoppable podcasts. There's a few different ways. The first way, use our sponsors. If there's a product or service you discovered on the show uh, through the sponsorship, head over to the show notes, click the banners, check them out, and ideally go with those products and services if they are uh, the service that you need. Uh, it's simple. When you use our sponsors, uh, they say, wow, those links really did work. We need to buy more ad space. And they buy more ad space and they support the show. And we thank you for doing that. Or if there's ever just in conversation, a product or service organically comes up, make sure you check out the show notes because sometimes we have affiliate relationships with those companies. If you use our links, they pay us a commission and that helps a ton. 
or even better, email me, eric at restaurantstoppable.com, and I'll make sure you're getting the right link and connecting with the right people. And most of the time, I can get you a good deal, so it's worth checking out. Also, five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Please keep those coming. They help so much. They really help with the ranking of the show and uh, making sure that we're at the very top and we're the most discoverable. Uh, and then share this thing, guys. Uh, I know who you're finding value because I know you keep on coming back, and we need to get this podcast in to the ears of as many up-and-coming restaurateurs, people who need an aiming point, who need the motivation, who need a little bit of inspiration right now. Uh, Let's make sure everybody knows about this resource, not for me, but for them, for everybody who could use it, right? Uh, And then lastly, join the network. If you want to connect with other restaurateurs across the nation listening to this podcast, if you want to connect with the, the people that I'm inviting on this podcast and my network of experts, then come hang out in the network. Head over to restaurantstoppablenetwork.com and join or go to the show notes for this episode and find the link for the network and you'll get 30 days on me in uh, our core values over at the network. And I want to share these with you so you guys get an idea of what we're all about over at the network. We have integrity. We are students, we educate, we collaborate, we communicate, we show up, and we have fun. So if that sounds like you and you want to be a part of this, please come hang out, be a part of the the conversation, and uh, be a part of the transformation. So today, we have a great episode for you. Uh, To me, today's episode is about sticking to your your guns, knowing who you are and doing you, uh, just the power of showing up work ethic and giving before you get right. You got to give before you get, you got to, you got to give something of yourself to others before they help you along. And, um, also just coming together and looking at the people in your market, uh, the other professionals in your market as colleagues and collaborators and recognizing that when you come together and you lean on each other, you you go further together. It's a great episode. I'm going to hit play. I hope you guys enjoy it. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest. Originally growing up in L.A., he moved to San Francisco to start cooking in 1997 at the famous Lark Creek Inn, where he worked his way to sous chef by the age of 25. Not long after, he moved east to New Hampshire and would spend the next decade plus working in well-regarded New England restaurants, including uh, Bonta Restaurant, Brazo, MC Perkins Cove, Arrow's Restaurant, and Annika Jane's before using his 20 years of experience to execute his own vision, Otis Restaurant at the Inn by the Bandstand in Exeter, New Hampshire. Only four months into business, he was invited to cook at the James Beard House, and he was also recognized in his first year by New Hampshire Magazine as best new restaurant in New Hampshire. Lee Frank, my man, are you feeling unstoppable? I've never been more unstoppable than right now. <laughs> yes, man. I'm so happy to have you on the show. Pleasure to be here. I cannot wait to dive in, but let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? So I would say that the mantra or the one that I kind of live by, very much so with the restaurant, but also kind of on an everyday basis would be uh, be true to yourself. You know, just like do you would be kind of you know the one that i go by be true to yourself and just do you why does that resonate with you that i would say you know it it resonates on a lot of levels On, on a business level you see so many people you know opening up restaurants or wanting to become chefs you know the some of the younger generation wanting to become chefs i feel like for the wrong reason 
or opening up a restaurant that doesn't really reflect who they are. It reflects what they think is going to work to line their pockets. And I just, I don't, I think that's like a recipe for failure. Yeah, I'm you interested know? in that. I mean, and it's weird because like one of the things I've learned in all these interviews is that you just hear so many different things, right? I'm like, yeah. what's the right answer? I tend to lean in that direction. I think that a lot of people try to create things because they think the market wants it. And exactly. And, th- and maybe that is an approach that works for some people. But if you're planning on being at your restaurant every day, it has to be an extension of who you are. I mean, I'm not saying that it doesn't work, yeah. right? Like, I don't know that the people that necessarily started some of these huge chain restaurants, that was like their dream and exactly who they are or whether it was a model they knew the world needed and putting out putting something out there that you think the community needs even if it isn't a hundred percent reflection upon you might like you just said it might work for some it doesn't work for me because i'm one of those people where if i can't a hundred percent justify it and support it and love it and watch it grow and work my ass off to get it there, then I just don't see the point. I mean, I definitely didn't get into this industry to line my pockets with dollars. That resonates with me. Uh, Great way to get this thing started. And where does it make sense to start telling your story? How did you get into the industry? Um, That's a good question. I mean, (laughs) where does it make sense? I don't know. Um, You know, my, I've always liked being in a kitchen. Right. My, my my parents who live in Los Angeles still came to um, visit recently and my mom brought with me <laughs> and she gave it to my wife a book that I apparently made when I was maybe like in first grade or <laughs> or second grade. And it was literally like it literally just said like Lee's book of yummy recipes <laughs> and it was like hand <laughs> it was handwritten in like, you know, like awful little kid writing and it was literally like four or five recipes like stapled together why my mom still has it that's like a we need like a couch and more microphones for that but um (laughs) i i don't know and so you could say like my journey maybe started then um i know when i was about 15 um i wanted to work you know the one thing that i've always like felt good about myself wise has been my work ethic Mm. um so when i was 15 i wanted a job and uh, you know what are you gonna do at 15 um food just kind of yeah seemed to make sense right so i actually had a friend that worked (laughs) at a burger joint in a mall like in a food court and i talked to him they were hiring so i got hired so like work after school, four days a week, whatever. Um, and I was taking orders. Okay. You know, and I got through, it was like right around holiday season. Okay. So malls are insane, yeah. right? And food courts are, there's like lines. Not to date you, but especially back in like the... It's, the you dated, yeah. 90s. I just dated myself. <laughs> I dated myself. Yeah. yeah. Um, I know. I feel like I should explain to the younger generation <laughs> a what a mall and a food court is. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so... so we got through the holiday season, you know, it, it is what it is. I was taking orders and, you know, making like orange bang and, you know, little orange Julia, you know, orange whip, yeah. orange whip, orange whip. <laughs> Some people will get that. Um, and there were two Hispanic guys in the back 
flipping burgers and they just looked like they were having way more fun than I was. And I remember like when it was slow, I would go back there and be like, I want to hang out with you guys. And eventually I asked the owner if I could, I didn't want to work the register anymore. Like I wanted to flip burgers. I think he was like a little, you know, befuddled and confused. It's just the wrong this, direction. Man. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. You know, he's like this little like 15 year old white Jewish kid from the Valley. Like, why do you want to be flipping burgers when you can just be like, okay, you want a number four next, you know? Yeah. But I did. And that was kind of like really where it started. Um, you know, I spent after high school, I spent a year going to, uh, quote unquote real college um studying journalism i've always been a fan of writing Mm. um and i kind of realized real quick two things one uh school was not really my thing um you know i I, after a year they kind of i was not necessarily invited back for my sophomore year i think i had a 1.16 my first semester yeah Yeah. i was like kind of like it's like that animal house thing there was like lee frank 0.0 you know (laughs) so um which was kind of fine that was probably like the one year since i've been 15 that i haven't had a job in food as well um and i also realized like i didn't want to spend the rest of my life like writing about the what tragedy you, in the world yeah, yeah. you know i mean the you turn on the news i mean obviously the time we're in right now is different you know there's <laughs> there's a lot of grim to be speaking right. about but um you know in general you know you're not normally writing a newspaper article about something good yeah you um, know i feel that for sure um i feel fortunate that i get to do that (laughs) but um no for sure i I pick up what you're saying i I know that you ended up in san francisco at some point right so how old were you when you were in san francisco so i got i didn't mean to cut you off i got to san francisco probably when i was like 17 18 so you knew early man like because you went to san francisco because you for work right so well i went because i i so i after i left college i went back to la and was literally, I was working at a restaurant. It was nothing crazy. Um, but again, it's just what I knew. Yep. And it was paying, I mean, bills that I didn't really have because I was living with my mom again. And I was like, why am I living with my mom again? <laughs> so um, I had some friends that had a four foot tall storage space in their garage. Four foot tall storage yeah, space. Like, you know, like you had to climb a little ladder. And it was it was basically like you know like the platform yeah. in a garage. Tell me this was your bedroom. That was my bedroom. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it was two hundred and fifty dollars a month. There was one. Two, there was probably five or six other people living in the house. It was disgusting. It was a party house. But you're 17 years old. Yeah, I mean, I think I might have been 18 at that point. Yeah. But it was like you know it was like five or six kids going to San Francisco State. Yeah. A couple of them were my best friends. And they were like, dude, you should move up here. And uh, I did. I had never seen it. So when you moved up, were you just moving up to kind of go be with your friends and yeah. have a good time? Or was was food driving any of this? So food wasn't like – it's like I knew I was probably going to do something in food. Yeah. But I at this point, like being a chef and owning a restaurant was like – so far in the background, it probably wasn't even a conscious thought. So at what point did that become a conscious thought? Like, this is what I like to do. This is what I want to make in my life. 
So after moving to San Francisco and working at a few restaurants, I finally landed a gig at a restaurant called Moose's, which is no longer there, but it was kind of like a San Francisco staple. Okay. The owner of the restaurant, an older gentleman named Ed Moose, you know, like one of his best friends was, um, I think, Herb Kane, who was a famous uh, food writer. And I, I, the restaurant that I had left, I was like the assistant chef, sous chef, assistant chef, whatever. And I went and I decided that this is what I wanted to do for a living. And I wanted to do it at a higher level mm-hmm. than what I was currently at. So I literally like printed out a resume and walked San Francisco and probably handed out like 40, 50 resumes. Nice. And so I landed at Moose's. The chef at the time, who actually now lives out here, um, and to kind of jump ahead, how I really got out here to New England, that is, um, his name was Jason Miller. Yes. And he... Um, called me back and asked about my, you know, previous employment. I told him I was, you know, working at a restaurant on the corner. I was the assistant chef or sous chef, blah, blah. And he goes, that's great. I have room in my Garmanger station. And I was like, oh, really? And he goes, yep. And that was, that was humbling, you know? And <laughs> why, why was that humbling? Why was that? Cause you know, you're in San Francisco, you're the sous chef of a restaurant, you know, and, you kind of know what that means, but you're still young and you don't. And, uh, you know, I, 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 you kind of think you're going to walk in and have maybe a better opportunity with some more money. And then you kind of realize like, all right, you're moving up to the next level. Like you can make salads for me, but you, you gotta, and I think that's really important for people to understand that sometimes you gotta take a step back before you can take a step forward. Yeah. And, and, and some of the key things I pulled out of your story right now that I want to highlight that I think are super important, maybe not intentional, but still super important. Go surround yourself with opportunity, go to places where there's opportunity, places to learn and do it as cheaply as possible. You were doing it because that's how you had to survive at that time. But if you can do it, intentionally if you if you can make your liabilities as small as possible so you can go out there and get those experiences and keep your liabilities low so you can travel and just and build your resume it's so 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 valuable and i love how you just you know hoofed it and dropped off resumes and gave yourself options. Um, and then also just recognizing that you have to take a step back sometimes to go forward to get on the right team. It's so true. And you know you have to like you have to just be willing to grind it out. Yeah. You know, and put yourself in not necessarily an uncomfortable position, but maybe an unfamiliar position. And it's like you said, like you really do have to kind of take a step back to go forward. And for me, I've always told cooks that have worked for me um, over the years now that I'm a chef that, you know, who have maybe put in, um, you know, a resignation because they got the line cook job at the new restaurant that pays $5 more an hour. And I always tell them, look, we all have bills. Like I, I get that. I, I have my own bills now. Um, and I've put myself in a lot of debt working and, you know, to further my career and whatnot. But is where you're going, is it going to get you to your end all be all? Mm. Because if you're just going there for the paycheck and it's not the right stepping stone, it's not the right move. Yeah, absolutely. I really never chose a job 
based on how much I made. Um, what did you choose it on? Getting me to where I wanted to be. Exactly. You know, network. It was. Yeah, it was. It was network. It was more. And for me, it was. It was. It was network, but it was like network that I didn't think about. Like I didn't think about. Oh, let me go work for this person because they know that person and that person. Yeah. It was. Let me go work for this person because they're doing something that is similar to what it is I want to do or think I want to do when I get there. And they're going to give me the most knowledge, mm. right? Like knowledge is yeah. it, knowledge in this industry and the diversity of learning from, uh, you know, many people is, is way more valuable, you know, than in three or four more dollars an hour. Exactly. Now that's definitely, I mean, but I think when you're young, you just don't have that perspective. You're thinking about what of course. right now, but you have to have vision. You have to have a plan and you have to see the value in network and knowledge. It's so it's, it trumps all. 25 cents an hour every day. (laughs) And it's easy to say that it's easy to look at a young cook and go, you know, that I don't think you should go or that's probably not the right move for you. Yeah. When they're like, I have a car payment and I have rent and bills. Now I'm going to be honest, right? Bills now are not what bills were when I was, you know, when I, in 1997, exactly. although at the same time, we don't need half the bills we give ourselves either. That's true. And the other variable is back to my, my point earlier, like just, just get a bed to sleep on and, and, and have seven roommates and get your rent down to 250 a month, you know? And, yep. and then that makes you that now you don't have liabilities. Now you don't have all these things forcing you to make bad decisions because you need another 25 cents an hour to pay for your Hulu account. <laughs> like, fuck that shit, man. Yeah. Like, get to work. So anyway, um, so back to Jason Miller. Yeah. Um, he really was your first mentor. He, what he was a huge influence yeah, in my career. Ref- Reflecting back at that time, how did he influence you? Think about the impression he made on you. You know, it's it's a it's a big one, and it's funny because even now, it's probably still seen in my food, um, in the way I prep, in the way I organize my kitchen. Um, the guy was a huge influence. So I start, like I said, I started working for him at Moose's. Um, eventually, that ran its course. You know, I, I went to culinary. Everyone that was working online was went to culinary school or was in culinary school. And I was like, well, I guess I guess I'll go, you know, and, and at less <laughs> this might be not maybe not the right thing to say, but less for the knowledge that culinary school was going to give me and more for the ability to show people in the industry the commitment I had to this industry. I was willing to take on the debt. I was yeah. willing to go through the process of going through school to prove to others to, to prove to others that this is what I wanted to do and wanted to be. Reflecting back at that with the man you are today, what what, what do you think? So it's <laughs> I feel like that's kind of not not a loaded question, but it's like right with hindsight being 2020, there's some things that came out of culinary school. Yeah. that um, I can't say I wouldn't go to culinary school because then I wouldn't have those things. Mm-hmm. I, although I am divorced from my first wife, we have a son, so and we met in culinary school. Mm-hmm. So for me to say I wouldn't go to culinary school would negate that part. Looking just on strictly the curriculum side of things, I don't think that culinary school is a must for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's beneficial for a lot of people. Yeah. 
I think some of the taglines some schools set up. Um, so I went to the California Culinary Academy. I think now it's a French culinary. I think it's part of that program. You know, their tagline was be a chef in 18 months. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I was, I, I would, like, I would go to work in the morning and then go to school at night. I did seven <laughs> days a week. I was averaging a hundred and some odd hours between both. Yeah. And it's like there were days where I would go to work and make, you know, chicken stock and veal stock and this and that. And then I would go to school and sit through a class on, you know, how to make chicken stock. And you're like, yeah, I just made 20 (laughs) gallons three hours ago. But there were kids in my class who didn't know. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm right there with you. And it comes up a time and time again. I think there is value if if you are young and you and you want the college experience and you're thinking about that. Um, there's cheaper, there's cheaper options <laughs> in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, but back to what I was saying earlier, when you graduate and you ha- you're paying $500 a month for your education, still paying, you can no longer take jobs based off of experience and network. You know what I'm saying? You're, you're it's moving, hard. Yeah. Because you have a liability, you have a responsibility, you got to pay yep. the bills. So it's, it's one thing I me mean, get the experience first. And if you really like, like you did, and if yep. you really are 100% gung ho committed to the industry, cause you love it cause you're doing it every day, make the investment, you know? Um, exactly. Yeah. And you do have to kind of look at it as an investment. Yeah. Um, you know, now whether or not in, you know, that investment necessarily, comes back and pays back. That's another story, right? Because, I mean, that, that's just the brutal honesty. Yeah. It's not law school. Yeah. It's not medical school. It's not like, you're not going to go be yeah. a doctor yeah. without and skip medical school. You can't be a lawyer and skip law school, unless you're just a genius and can pass the bar somehow. But do you know what I mean? Unless like, you're doogie. But you, but you can be a chef and a very successful chef yeah. and not have gone to culinary school. Right. Right. Again, go back to the mantra, like do you do what's best for you. If going to culinary school is what you think is best for you at the time, go for it. So how does James Miller fit into this? Did he encourage you to go or did he, he didn't, he yeah. really didn't. He supported me going though, yeah. you know, and I think, um, uh, he went to school you know, he grew up back here and went to school out here. Um, he supported me in the manner of, when school was the way my school was set up is you had day classes for like a semester and then you switched to night classes. Yeah. Right. And it was Monday through Friday, eight hours a day. So when I was in school during the day, I worked nights, but when my school switched to nights, he moved me to days. Okay. So, you know, that was in way, in some way, right. His support was yeah. like, I will, I'll work with your schedule. Yeah. I mean, he still got an employee that came in and worked every day, but you know, it was helpful. Um, he was just a big influence. It was probably the first time I was like really in a restaurant where like I, I looked around and saw a level of talent that was like inspiring. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like everywhere I had worked before, I mean, you take out the burger joint and stuff like that, but, um, you know, a couple of the restaurants in San Francisco that I worked before, it's not that the food was bad or, you know, they were very successful, but it just wasn't what I wanted to do. And it was like guys that could come in and just hammer stuff out, yeah. you know, just slammed all night and just hammer it out and joke and laugh the whole time. Where when I went to Moose's with Jason, there was just this level, I guess um, a good way to describe it would be, there was a level of professionalism mm. set. 
and seriousness and people who, even when they were prepping, took the time and thought of why do we, why are we prepping this? Why are we prepping this this way? It wasn't a matter of like looking at my prep list and let me just do it as fast as I can. Yeah. Right? Like I might have missed a step here and there, but it got done. That wasn't it. It was slow down, look at what you're doing, think about why you're doing it this way. Yeah. And and that was like new for me. Yeah. And I was going to follow up with asking like, what do you mean by professionalism? Paint that picture of professional, but I think you just did. And I think what I'm distilling from that is just a level of intentionality versus going through the motions. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like moving with purpose, mm-hmm. you know, and it's one of the things that I like tell all, a lot of line cooks is like, you know, what, what makes one line cook better than the other? Right. Or, <clears throat> Right, because not all chefs are the best line cooks. Yeah, and not all the best line cooks become the best chefs. Yeah. you need both in this industry, mm-hmm. right? We can't just have an industry of every of chefs. Mm-hmm. You know, you need people of varying skill level. You need a tribe, exactly. Um, one of the things that I've always said is the person that <laughs> the person that can do the same thing without in this get the same result consistently, kind of without taking less steps. And in sometimes, I mean, physical steps. There's times where you stand online and you watch, you know, somebody kind of new to cooking or somebody that has been cooking for a long time that thinks they know everything. And when it gets really busy, you almost watch them spin in circles. Yeah. You know, they're like, they're standing in front of the stove and then they turn around and they're in front of their knees and then they circle back around and circle back around. It's like they're just spinning because they're not really sure (laughs) where to go, where the person next to them is so much further ahead of them, you know, but it's just as busy. Yeah, what I'm feeling like where this is going, I think the the, the difference between being professional and just doing your job and going through the motions in, in your description of professionalism where you're being intentional and growing is that when, when you take that level of intentionality, you show up the next day a little bit better because you're always looking for a better way. You're always growing. You're always improving and you get more efficient and you, and you, and you find these little things that you can do to, to be more efficient because exactly. you're reflecting. Um, did Jason teach you that? He did, yeah. you know, and a lot of that came from just watching him mm. and uh, you know, he was super talented. When we started working at Moose's together, he was super young. I mean, I was too, but I mean, I, th- I think he was like 28, 29. Yeah. You know, and running a, you know, reasonably well-named restaurant in, the to- in San Francisco at the time. But anyways, eventually, like, we just kind of parted ways. And then we caught up together again after I graduated culinary school at the Lark Creek Inn. Okay. He was... Now the executive chef of the Lark Creek Inn. The prior chef was um, Jeremy Sewell, who most people in New England know. Row thirty four, hog, yeah. you know, oyster oysters and all that. Um, he had lineage, super talented guy. Um, him and Jason were very good friends um, from the East Coast. Okay, so but he left to come. Jeremy left to come back here. Okay, Jason took his spot. At the Lark Creek Inn, and then Jason hired me. I uh, called, and uh, he hired me. Nice. And I started uh, as the grill guy. In three years, you, you climbed that that ladder to sous chef position, correct? I did, yeah. I mean, yeah. So, so a lot of that was 
again, grind. Yeah. Like straight grind. I worked. Give me, yeah, give me an example. Paint that picture I'll, of what I'll, grind I'll, is. Yeah. So for me, the way it worked there was at the end of the night, Jason would write a prep list. And it was a, on a white piece, you know, eight by and a half, 11 piece of paper that was stuck to a prep for reach in prep fridge. And he would write two lists. The left side was prep. The right side was chef's prep, i.e. sous chef, executive chef, and like executive sous or chef de cuisine. They would obviously take, I don't know, the more advanced stuff or some new menu items or whatnot. Most of the breaking down of fish, et cetera, et cetera. I wanted to learn all that. So I told him, I want to learn all this. He's like, well, then come in. You know, I have four stripers coming in <laughs> yeah. tomorrow. If you want to watch it, we're butchering them at 8 a.m. And in my head, I'm like, my shift starts at 3. <laughs> so what do you do? I went in at 8 a.m. Yeah. So, and that's really all I did for a very long time. I worked 70 to 85 hours a week. I only clocked in for 40 of them. Um, on Thursdays, we would take the van and run to the Marin Farmer's Market. I would meet Jason at like 6 a.m. Keep in mind, I was young, and that's very early. <laughs> I don't like getting up that early now, and I have kids. Um, and I would meet him. We would take the van, and we would go to the market. And literally, all I really did was I was the guy that walked behind him yeah. as he went vendor to vendor. And when he would say, I'll take five flats of those strawberries, I was just the guy who got to carry the stra- flats of strawberries, pardon me, to the van. Yeah. And then go back and prep, you know. So that was the grind. Yeah. Uh, you know, again, like not making a lot of money. I. But you were learning so much. You're I learned everything. These, I these literally people. learned and not everything, but I learned so much. You got to look at that as an asset. You got to look at that as more valuable. It was than the money. so what, much more valuable. Even more valuable than your rest of that time. Way, you're, you're 19 years old. You can yeah. handle it. You know, way more it. valuable than any money. How old I were you actually got. at this time? So, 21, 22, yeah, right around yeah. there. So th- what's going through my mind listening to you talk is like opportunity is not going to be handed to you. Not you got to go freaking grab it. You got to grab it. I mean, you grab it by showing up, yep. and by being recognized, by being willing to do the work. And that's what gives you the opportunity. But you got to go out. You got to show up. You got to grab it. You got to do these extra things. Um, I, I We are almost... 30 minutes into this conversation. We've gotten nowhere. And we've gotten a ton. But you know what I mean. Yeah, we've yeah. gotten a ton. I'm still in San Francisco. Though. But I do want to focus on your 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 story as not yeah, a course. new... Uh, I mean, there's tons of value here. No, I understand what you're saying. Um, but where does it make sense? I mean, I don't want to fast forward too much, but I know you ended up on the East Coast. Yeah. So I can I can skip through it pretty quickly because yeah. I tell... Paint us, that picture in like 60 yeah, seconds. Yeah, I tell we'll that story yeah. like nine times a night on my counter. Um... <laughs> He left to raise his kid back east. I stayed. I did a brief stint in Arizona. We can skip right over that part of my life. Yeah. He called me out of the blue while I was in Arizona. This is Jason. Hadn't talked to him in like two years. I, I picked up the phone, and all I heard was, Hey, it's Chef. Want to move to the East Coast and be my Sue? And I went, Who the fuck is this? <laughs> and he goes, it's, J- it's Jason Miller. And I was like, Oh, my God. I haven't heard from you in two years. So I moved, yeah. and I became the sous chef at Bonta. I I, lo- uh, sorry to interrupt. I, I love. No. It seems like around this time, from my research, everybody 
and their uncle and aunt is going from every other part of the country to California. And I love how you're going the opposite direction at this point. Never had any intention or plan. In fact, when he told me he was living in Maine, I think the first thing I said is, where's Maine? Right? Like, I grew up in California. My family are New Yorkers. Like, most of the time, the rest of the countries, it's like the flyover yeah. states kind of a thing. How much does it blow your mind that Maine's coastline is longer than California's? It's weird. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. Um, Keep going. So <laughs> so I came. I was a sous chef. He moved on. Um, and at like 28, the owner of the restaurant, um, who I'm still friends with and speak with, um, he sat me down, called me into the office, sat me down. He said, hey, just so you know, like Jason's leaving. Um, I'll give you three months. Prove if you can do it. You, it seems like you can, but you know, let's set it up as a trial period. So I like 28 years old. I, I took over the reins. Now all of a sudden I was in charge of all these people and, you know, doing everything. I had tremendous help from yeah. vendors. Um, so okay. this is circa like, Oh nine, yeah. Oh eight, Oh nine. Or when I took over, I'm Two sorry, five. would be Oh, 2006. Six. Okay. Yeah, my reign at Bonta ended in 2009. Yeah. This is huge. I think that there's a lot of people now that are listening to this yeah. that I feel like can be like, okay, I'm in that position where now I'm being handed the reins and I'm in charge and I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do. How'd you do it? And you just you pointed out that you got a lot of help from vendors. Yeah. How did you get so, like, just in perfect, a real quick example would be um, when he left, I, I don't remember the time of year, but like w- w- something was coming up. It, it was either one of those, like, Valentine's Day, Mother's Day, Easter. It was like one of those big, like Sunday brunchy holiday things that, right? I I, want to say it was Easter. And, you know, obviously menus were saved from prior years. I was going to kind of do my own thing. I always joke around because I'm Jewish. So it's like, what the hell do I know about (laughs) Easter anyways? And I literally called my meat purveyor, who I still use to this day because partially because of the story and i was like i need ham and he's like okay like i have 900 (laughs) different hams what kind i was like fuck if i know i was like i got easter i'm doing like a grilled ham steak with blah 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 and he's like i got you and it was just kind of always like that with a lot of my purveyors it's like hey i need you know pismo tenderloins and he's like all right how many do you need i was like that's a real valid question. I don't know. And he's like, well, how many steaks do you think you're going to serve this weekend? And I'd be like, such and such. And he'd be like, all right, I'll send you this many. Now, he obviously had the opportunity to like completely take advantage of me and be like, you need nine cases of like, you know, but he didn't. It was little things like that that kind of helped me until I really got under my feet. And, you know, you just kind of learn it right yeah. as you go. Um, so eventually that restaurant, uh, the owner that I worked for sold it, got out of the industry um, the new owners came in. They had hired a couple consultants. We were not on the same page. Um, I left. I went to Brazo in Portsmouth, which is no longer. Um, I was there for a very, very brief stint. Um, it was not the right place for me. And an opportunity to go to Ogunquit and work for Mark and Clark at MC Perkins Cove uh, came my way in a very roundabout way. Um, and that and so I was with the boys from 2009 to like through 2013, both at MC Perkins Cove and Arrows. And the knowledge I gained working from them 
was very much equal to the knowledge I gained from Jason, but in a very different way. This is a great spot to take our first break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back because I really want to unpackage a lot of what sure. you just dropped on us. One of the biggest lessons I've learned hosting Restaurant Unstoppable is that it's impossible to be everything to everybody. You're better off being really good at what you already do well and partnering with those who compliment you. And I'll tell you right now, I am not the best resource out there for all things, PDFs, templates, checklists, you name it. But I do know who the best is, and that is restaurantowner.com because they're constantly being recommended organically on the show. So instead of trying to compete with restaurantowner.com, I've decided to partner with restaurantowner.com. Right now, when you join Restaurant Unstoppable Network, you get six months access, free access to restaurantowner.com. And that includes their entire content library of PDFs, spreadsheets, checklists, templates, webinars, articles, the list goes on, and you also get access to Restaurant Startup and Growth Magazine, the digital copy. In addition, you get access to their e-training platform, which allows you, plus three of your managers and 30 of your employees to get access to it. Uh, it's it's incredible what they're doing. It's incredible that they're offering us this deal, and you're a knucklehead if you don't take advantage of it. So right now, Go to the show notes of this episode and join the network. You'll find a link to join for 30 days free on us, and you'll get that six months free to restaurantowner.com. All right, we are back, and you just, you know, thank you for getting aerial and cruising through, painting that big yeah, picture. Uh, I want to get in the helicopter and like hover now over some of these things you just dropped on us. Sure. So um, I think what's really important, um, your time at Bonta, um, you, you said you weren't on the same page with the new ownership. Yeah. So give me an example of like, you know, what that was like and why it's so important to be on the race, the right page. Well, I mean, there's, there's the, I wasn't on the same page from what I knew. And then I wasn't on the same page from what they knew. And I didn't know, meaning, um, they had already kind of hired my replacement. Okay. <laughs> but I never knew that. Okay. Um, in fact, he came in for dinner and they just introduced him to me as a friend um so that was fun um basically they wanted to take the restaurant back to being like italian which was not really what i wanted to do yeah now i probably could have done it right but again let's go back to the mantra be true to you Mm -hmm. italian wasn't what my end-all be-all goal was and i just didn't see how that restaurant going uh that direction would get me to where I wanted to be. Yeah. Um, now I didn't necessarily, <laughs> I didn't necessarily leave on my own accord. Um, I, my now ex-wife, who was the pastry chef, and I were let go like the day before New Year's Eve. Oh. Um, in fact, I was let go, and then I was told to call her and tell her that she was being let go as well. Um, I feel better. That was cathartic right there. (laughs) Saying that one out loud. Yeah. Uh, You know who you are. So, but again, it happened for a reason. Mm -hmm. It all worked out in the end. I do. I am curious at this point of your life, when you said it wasn't where I wanted to be, it wasn't what I wanted to do. Did you know where you wanted to be? Did you have a vision for yourself and what you wanted to do? I did. I knew I wanted to eventually, I kind of always set goals for myself, right? Like I wanted to be a sous chef by the time I was 25. I wanted to be an executive chef by the time I was 30. I wanted to own my own restaurant by the time I was 40. You know, Baruch Hashem from, you know, my mouth to God's ear. I reached 
all those. Yeah. Now, not necessarily the exact path. Yeah. This like really easy super path I envisioned. Um, you know, where somebody just calls you up and says, I have a million dollars for you to open a restaurant. That didn't happen, but it happened, right? Again, I, I strategically try to keep putting myself in a position yeah. where that goal would become obtainable. Yeah, I, I, w- I was hoping to get the significance of having a vision and what that can do for you and your career. Um, but we also got the significance of having goals too, uh, which yeah. is really important. And but you need them. You need And you points. also need... Both short term and long term, yeah, right. Because if you're just getting in this industry 18, 19, and you're like, I want to own a restaurant one day, it's now that it happens crazily sometimes, you know. I mean, there are the the awards for you know the being under 30 rising star chef, you know, and it happens to a lot some people at a young age, and for some people, they make millions and millions of dollars on television, (laughs) and that's what we see, yeah. We also have to keep in mind what. What is the percentage of those people compared to everybody else trying it? It's a minutia fraction. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, short-term goals, long-term goals, you know, for me, both really important. And one of your short-term goals as a young cook can be something as simple as I want to become, by the end of, you know, within six months, I want to be more efficient in butchering fish and portioning you know blah 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 whatever it is that that could be a goal why yeah. not it yeah. doesn't have to be a oh i just started at this restaurant i want to be the head chef in a year you know um you got to give yourself something to work towards and let's face it if, if you give yourself something to work towards that is difficult but is obtainable you're more likely to, you know, it sounds cheesy, but you're almost more likely in some ways to enjoy a life of successes mm. rather than failures. Yes. Now, we're all going to have failures. I've had plenty. <laughs> right? But, and I'm not saying set a goal like, you know, I want to walk down the block. That's my goal. You know, we yeah. all, but... You know, I no, want to become I, more efficient I'm picking up in this. Down. You know and what I mean? I think it's important because we have to we have to celebrate the small wins because we exactly. have to feel like we're making progress. We have to be able to look back and say, "Holy shit! Holy shit! Look where I was!" And look, you know, we, we always are, I think people tend to look to the future and they forget to look back exactly and to, and to accomplish and to, to, where you've come from. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like you're, you know, you started off as the grill guy and. You you know you had four or five steaks a night come back. I mean, if that happens, you may not be the grill guy very long. But you know what I mean. Like, yeah. you're why not set a goal of tomorrow? I want to do this and have none of them come back. Yeah, I right. Love that. And then you go and you do it. Exactly. Pat on the back. And I think it comes back to what we were talking about earlier, like that that level of intentionality and professionalism. Exactly. Right? Um, but we also need. I mean, it's important to look back, but it's also important to have a vision for yourself, so you know that if you're being pulled away, if you're being pulled off center line from where you're trying to go, it's time to get off that ship and get onto the right ship to bring you back to where you want to be. And that's what you did with um, Bonta, right? Yeah. Yeah. Bonta. Stepping stone. Stepping. Stones. You know what I mean? But you yeah. have to have that vision because you have to be able to recognize when you're being pulled off course. Exactly. It's so important. Um, so you, we mentioned real quick, you had a, a short time at Brazo. Any any key lessons that you learned in that? So day? I'll be honest. I, I, really, I think the key lesson was 
um, and this sounds funny, and I wish it was way more profound than this. I think the key lesson for me was I, I'm not meant to be the executive chef of a Latin restaurant. Mm-hmm. You know, there's nothing wrong um, with recognizing and what you're not supposed yeah, to do. You know, and again, um, it's it, it, not to keep, you know, but the mantra, right? Do you be true to yourself? That that cuisine was um, not me. Um, now. I was in a position where I had no job. Um, it was a reputable restaurant. You know, the owners were good people. Um, I applied. I interviewed. I cooked. I got hired. Um, could I have maybe kept the search going? Yes. Um, but I thought, you know, why not give it a whirl? And I actually, in you know... I guess in some ways I almost went against my mantra where it was like, you know, this isn't really me, but let me try something different. Um, you know, different food, you know, being in downtown Portsmouth and all that. Um, you know, and I did my, I tried to do my research, you know, go out and, you know, you buy some cookbooks and, you know, and, and do some research about that style of food and how I could interpret it into my own and, and this and that. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, it just didn't work out. Yeah. It was not me. Um, you know, uh, I, I didn't, I couldn't really like throw everything I had into it. You have to be able to. Yeah. yeah I mean, you know, the restaurant industry, especially in the kitchen, it's like where you live, right? You spend, I mean, I'm sure after doing this podcast, you've heard this a million times, right? You spend more time with those people than you do with your own family. So if you're not truly passionate about it, it kind of makes going to work. What's the point? Yeah. Yeah. And I kind of hit that point real quickly and it just didn't work out. And then again, in a very, which is a long story that I won't go into, but in a very roundabout way, I ended up in a gunk with, with, uh, Mark Geyer and Clark Frazier. And I think there's an, um, I mean, they are those names are well known in the the New Hampshire, Maine, the the New England seacoast. Yeah, like they're pretty OGs, big names. OGs. Yeah, they they started Alabama a lot that they don't necessarily yeah. always get the credit for. Yeah. Um, you know, like especially with arrows. Yep. You know, everyone talks about who started farm to table, who started farm to table. Um, you know, were they the first in the country to do it? No, but were they one of the first to do it? really really early on yeah yeah i mean sure. so so i'm curious paint the picture of because you said and i think my research that here you grew a lot here and you also grew a lot of annika james i think annika james more about the, the business ownership side yeah. of things um but paint the picture of who you were when you joined um mark and clark and where you were when you left how did you evolve as a professional during that time so when i started with them i was you know i'm still kind of young probably 32. I remember taking a phone call from Clark when he offered me the position and it was 4th of July. My weekend to start was like 4th of July week weekend in a gunkwit, Maine. I don't know if you've ever been to Perkins Cove on 4th of July. You can't move. Yeah. (laughs) You know, you're now talking about a... Yeah. And (laughs) we're talking about a restaurant that's going to do three to 400 covers a night. Right. And Clark said, just so you know, like you're starting this week, there's no time for you to learn anything like you're literally being thrown to the wolves. 
And, you know, there was Mark and Clark were there, yes, but they have the, you know, they also had arrows to deal with in the summertime, which is, you know, which was a monster of a restaurant. Although they had, you know, Justin Walker, who's one of the best on the seacoast, hands down, if not the best. Um, Super talented guy. So I came in with some experience, but still knowing, like, I was young and not working for well-known chefs was probably not at that level. Um, you know, pull the bootstraps, bootstraps up and go. <laughs> I like bootstraps um, better. Yeah, <laughs> so do I. So, you know, I started there and it, that restaurant was a very big confidence builder for me. Okay. You know, that weekend was insane. Um, you know, my first night, the first couple of days I was there was like, for me, was like observation day, right? I wasn't, I didn't throw myself online. I was expediting. I was watching how everyone worked, who was strong, who wasn't, how the system went. Not because I was going to like be heroic and change the system, you know, but just acclimating, acclimating. Yeah. Exactly. And then, you know, we sat down, they're like, Hey, why don't you get online tomorrow? I was like, sure. You know, I went where the chef would be. And uh, we did like 340 covers or something. Damn. And I was just like, what What yeah. just happened? Yeah. So when you said it was a confidence builder, was it just because this is the first time you, you pushed the envelope to the point where you've never done that much volume? Yeah. I mean, I've ne- I had never done that much volume in that style of food, right? Like early on, I worked at the Olive Garden. They do a lot of volume, but everything is like <laughs> cut at, a bag open, cut bag open. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Um, this was definitely a different experience. Yeah. And I had um, primarily I had Mark expediting. I would, you know, run the line and he would expedite the whole kitchen. Um, so there was that up added level of pressure, right? Because he's standing right there watching every single plate that goes out and you don't want to look. You, you don't want to look like an idiot, right? Um, you've been hired to do a job, and you want to prove that you could do that job. Now, they were very patient and extremely accommodating, but a lot of that pressure was just put on to me by myself, um, which I think in the long run probably worked out. Um, but, yeah, like it was just – it was not an easy – not an easy kitchen to run. Gotcha. You know, like at Bonta, I had one staff. We were dinner only. Yeah. Now I have, you know, I have a sous chef and I have a dinner staff. I have a lunch staff. I have the transition in between. I have, you know, uh, specials that we're running nightly. I have menu, um, menu rights and creativity sessions with both Mark and Clark, um, you know, it, it, it was just a lot more so you, you, moving parts. So you build your confidence. You, you, you get a level of volume at a high level that you were never really exposed to before. Exactly. What else did they do to transform you in this time? A lot, of the, a lot of the transformation from them was seeing the success of chefs from that have hit a level that... I would like to be at, um, but their story of how they got there, right as well. Like it wasn't just handed to them, you know. They too worked in San Francisco for Jeremiah Tower at Stars. That's where they met, mm-hmm. right? And they 
did the grind in San Francisco and then decided they wanted to like open a restaurant. They, you know, and they came to New England and bought arrows like that restaurant is in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it's no longer, but right. That restaurant was in the middle of recently, like five years ago, they closed. Yeah, we shut the doors in 20 end of 2013. Yeah. The restaurant was in the middle of nowhere. You don't have it's destination. You do not have walking traffic. Yeah. People aren't walking by going, "Oh, what's that? Let me look inside." People are going there for You're arrows. going there for <laughs> arrows, yeah. right? And that's not an easy thing to build no. in Maine yeah. at a time where they were coming from California and they were like, "Oh, we like whether, you know, we we can't find good prosciutto and ice cream and bread and vegetables." What do we do? Oh, let's start a garden and cure our own meat and make our own bread and make our own ice cream. And, you know, and, and they just took it to the level. And eventually Arrows at one point at Bon Appetit or Gourmet hit one of the top 20 restaurants in the country. And, you know, and they won the beard in 2010. And um, that's a long grind, right? Like yeah. they won the James Beard Best Chefs Northeast in, I believe, 2010. They opened Arrows in... 87. Do you, uh, but I think at the same time, this is a testament to doing what you doing you doing. Yeah, you, exactly. They weren't out for accolades and awards. I mean, I can't speak for them, but right. they were, you could tell that even from the outside looking in that they were just doing what they wanted to do and they were fulfilling their own visions. For exactly. Themselves. And they did it the way they wanted to. Yeah. They did it, you know, everything was the way they wanted to do it. And it, whether it was right or wrong, it was still on them. Mm. You know, did they maybe catch breaks to help propel? Sure. You know, and we all have to at some point. But at the same time, you know, were they, you know, in 1987, when they were trying to get this restaurant going, were they like probably like, you know, spending money on things they didn't have? I'm sure. They lived above, Mm. you know, before they, I mean, think about, I think about that, right? right? Like. You're done with work, and where do you go? Upstairs. Eight stairs upstairs, <laughs> yeah. and then you come, and then uh, you know it's like two, you know, one o'clock on a day you're not open, and there's a wine rep knocking on your door. Well, guess what? You're home because you're upstairs. Yep. Um, so like seeing that grind um, was pretty inspiring to yeah. me to the level that they've hit, but also the big one that I always say working for them and the big lessons that I've learned from them were the importance of the front of the house. So many times chefs get locked into, it's all about the food. It's all about the food. You know, it's not, it's all about the experience overall. Yeah. I want to dive into that, but first I just want to highlight real quick because, um, man, the grind in, in the, what they did for you, they inspired you. They showed you what's possible. And that's exactly what we're here to do for the rest of the industry of the world is to show people, you know, what's possible. We, it, it's, it's just so important, like, to, to lift people up around you, right? Yeah. Um, in, in that moment, like, when reflecting back at who you were, again, when you got there and who you were and you left, like, they showed you the level of what's possible. But how did that change who you were? So it, it was just like this confidence builder. And it kind of made the owning of a restaurant like a reality mm. seemed like a pipe dream for so long, right? Like I'm going to own a restaurant one day. Like that, that's not an easy thing necessarily to accomplish unless you obviously have the means and whatnot, but I do not. Um, 
but it just made it seem obtainable. Yeah. Right. It, it gave you almost, you gave Hope. yourself permission. Yeah. To, to go for it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, cause at what, at that point, like you've, you've elevated to the top, like there's nowhere else to go as far as like, I think growing us professionally, as far as like, within the industry, you're, you're standing shoulder to shoulder with the best in the industry. Like who, yeah, yeah. how do you graduate from that? I mean, know? in our, <clears throat> look, in our small seacoast region, um, for a very long time, you know, uh, they were at the top, um, you, you, and they're still doing their thing, right? Like, let's not forget, yep. they, they arrows is gone, but they still have MC Perkins yep. scope. They're still doing their thing. They're still, you know, they're still out there. Um, now has a generation under them come up and um, equaled, right? Their yeah. their success. I don't know. Um, but there's there's a lot of talented people yeah. in our area. Got it. Um, but you can't forget like where it started. Do you know what I mean? For me, like there's, it's just part of it, right? Yeah. Like the it's part of the the. Um, it has to be part of the culinary map. Yeah. The contribution they made absolutely to the to the remind, dining scene in Maine. <laughs> you're reminding me that I have to reach back out to them. I think I reached out to them like the first year I started the podcast. Yeah, because they were local. They were close by. Yeah, and I was in, on the seacoast. But I, you're putting them right back on my radar. I gotta try to get them back on the show again. They're good um, guys. They're super interesting. They have great stories. Yeah, and you know they're incredibly well educated. They're mm-hmm. just. I mean, they're good people. Like now they're. <laughs> They're demanding, right? Don't get me wrong. Like, they're not, they were not the absolute easiest <laughs> people to work for every day. But who is? Exactly. I'm sure I'm not. Right. Um, but, you, you know, yeah. it's, it's not all like, you so, know, it's so not did, all butterflies. I did cut you short. You did it's start okay. getting into um, the front of house and how they taught you the significance of the front of house. Drop a nugget on us real quick because I do want to make sure we leave time for you to talk about yeah, Otis of and course. Jason Conti or Canty. Uh, so it was just the importance of the front of the house, mm-hmm. right? Like they weren't two chef owners. They, they came up in kitchens. Mm-hmm. They were chefs. Eventually, they when they opened Arrows and further success, and maybe even before just uh, Justin Walker, and even during it, you know, it was like one of us is going to be in the kitchen, and then one of us is going to put on a suit and work in the front, and they would switch. Right? I just feel that there are a lot of times where chef-owned restaurants, the front of the house is completely ignored. Yeah, I've always said great service will save a mediocre meal. But a great meal doesn't always save Absolutely. shitty service. Yeah. And what I mean is there's places that I I eat at even now where the food it's it's not bad. But it's not like life-changing food experience. But like you walk in and they know you mm-hmm. and they remember you and you talk to them and they just treat you really well and it's warm and it's inviting. I'm going to go back. But I've also been to restaurants where, like, I had an amazing meal and the service sucked. <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm never going back there. Right. Because I don't want to deal with that. I think people forget at the end of the day, it's just about relationships, you know? Yeah. Like, food can be amazing, but you, like, once you've had it, like, that's okay, I've had it, you know? But, like, the, that person remembering me in my experience and ha- having that and, or reflecting on th- something we talked about 
like five months ago when I was here, and like just people giving an F. You yeah, know? exactly. It's just so powerful. It, it goes a long way. Like absolutely. it really does just go a long way. So what did they do to elevate their service and to to really so, put an episode? Episode. You know the the way they tr- so right arrows was kind of on like that uh, on that other level yeah. right it was very like the white barn in I mean we didn't do the like group serving but it was just right like even just watching the servers set up you know it was like what you know somebody would come in and all the copper was polished the brass railings for the stairs were polished now you're talking about a brass railing in a kitchen that no customer ever sees. <laughs> yeah. But still, you know, like the, the, the stairs were sprayed and wiped. Every table was cleaned. Like the linen, you know, before service would start, this was when I was at Arrows, like Clark and I would, you know, we would sit down with the, the staff and do the pre-meal shift and, you know, so-and-so's coming in, it's their birthday, blah, blah. Someone else is coming in, they don't eat, they're allergic to shellfish and, and then, you know, the servers would break off and just all, it was the little things, you Good know, enough. yeah, <laughs> uniforms were iron, you know, like servers were upstairs, like, oh, my aprons wrinkly. Point. I'm going to go iron it as opposed to like my, my aprons wrinkled. I don't give a shit. So I think, sorry, you know, and okay. like we would do a lap and I always remember this, like, because prior to this, it's not like I didn't know Clark at all, but I was definitely closer with Mark because we worked hand in hand because I was at MC much longer than I was at Arrows. I was only at Arrows their last season, you know, at, which was like, I think, 28 seasons. And ironically enough, I'm the I'm only the second chef of that restaurant. OK. Other than them. Mm-hmm. It was Mark and Clark, Justin Walker, and then me for one year. So think about that in that span that. It wasn't a high changeover, right? But um, I always remember this with Clark was um, we would do a lap. We would do pre-service. Servers would get up, finish setting up, get dressed, get ready. And then him and I would go like table to table. Like, you know, fork is fork that forks out. This one's missing a fork, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. Change the napkin there. Then we would go outside and walk the perimeter of the outside, you know, and he like, call a busser hey can you sweep the walkway mm. it was just that level it was the the attention to detail like would a guest if we didn't sweep the walkway would a guest have come in and been like i'm never coming arrows again because when i came in that brick no. walkway wasn't swept no but so why'd we do it because it's your standard not exactly and that's the thing and that and that was and that standard they tried to not try well i guess tried um and I don't mean that in a bad way. They tried to bring to MC. But instead of doing a, you know, so now you're like the service at MC was obviously a little bit looser, but still trying to mimic the things that are important in service that Arrows did. Mm. But now you're talking about a restaurant in Perkins Cove that's doing 400 covers. We're still clearing sur- silver and resetting every, um, you know, every... Yeah. Uh, uh, course and mm-hmm. little things like that. Yeah. You know, and, and it was like, cause that's, what's important to them. And yeah. that's the experience they wanted to give. And they were like, even though this is an arrows and we're going to do, you know, 385 people tonight in four hours, they still deserve 
a good level of service. Yeah. So I got to unpackage this because I had a follow up question, which you kind sure. of answered. Yep. And it's like, okay, so clearly they, they have high standards. That's what's happening here. Um, the question was going to be, how do they maintain those standards? And the words coming into my mind are Danny Meyer, constant gentle pressure, right? right. Having those standards, knowing that things are going to shift and things are, aren't going to always be perfect, but you have to kind of keep your hand on it. You have to keep pressure on it. You have to correct things when they're slightly off. Yep. And you have to let people know constantly what the standard is. And there's ways to re- recreate yourself in those standard, like, and like, instead of like, I mean, you, you can walk around, but you can also create checklists. You can do right. these things to say, this is the standard and you can recreate your, your walk around and show people, this is all the stuff you should be looking at when you're doing your pre-meal or whatever. Um, did you guys have that kind of stuff too? We did. I mean, there were definitely checklists, um, both at MC and arrows. Uh, you know, a lot of time they were like a laminated checklist that had like a, you know, a dry erase marker and whoever, you know, like, if a server came in and did something, they checked it off and then the next. So yes, but there was also like, look, not every day, right? They, they had their moments. Mm -hmm. Um, but there were a lot of times where like, they weren't afraid to do it too. Mm. You know, like there were nights where leadership. Yeah. Like there were nights where, you know, I watched Mark, push racks of dishes through, you know, and he used to joke and he'd be in the pit. We'd be packed yeah. and he'd be in the dish pit, like highest paid dishwasher in Maine. You know what I mean? Like joking around. Cause he's like, you know, like, or, you know, he'd look at you and I do it too. Now I joke around and I'm like, you know, you're like running rack after rack and you're like, so you want to own a restaurant, huh? Like it's super glamorous. You know what I mean? But like, but they would do it. There were not, you know, like busy nights at Arrows where, um, you know, maybe they were short staffed and, you know, Clark wasn't Clark wasn't afraid to like grab silverware and start polishing and stuff like that, you know, and or if at MC, if Mark and Clark happened to be there on a night and Raw Bar got really busy, like they didn't just stand there and watch like some, you know, foreign exchange worker who really didn't have a lot of experience opening oysters just go down like a sack of hammers, you know, they would jump in and pop oysters. And, and I think that goes a long way with your staff. I think there's so many little things you can do that seem so insignificant. Like anytime we broke 350 at not every time, but at, at MC, it, it normally meant, right, the staff was working hard, kitchen in front of the house, was working pretty cohesively in order to be able to turn tables to get everyone in, and they would, they would order pizza. Nice. Now, does pizza fix the, like, ass-kicking you just took? No. But it really is just this, like, small little moment where we made it, we survived, we're all downstairs, let's, like, laugh, have a slice of pizza, you know, and then go back upstairs and clean but yeah. you know what i mean but like what you're, what you're describing is the difference between go do that and come with me yeah and come with me goes so much further uh, totally and little things what okay what is a f- couple pies maybe 60 bucks max right right but what what does that say yeah you and know? it's like what can six like it, it, it might it might only be a dollar amount sixty dollars but it the value in that right is so much more and i think it's to the right people mm-hmm. like there were definitely nights where like i would be down that would happen and i would go downstairs and you would hear like one or two employees being like i just did 
you know, I just had like 30 tables and I got yelled at for this and I'm spo- like one slice of pepperoni pizza is supposed to make me feel better. And you're like, <laughs> no, not really. But like we all went through it. Yeah. You know, like there, it, the pizza was it's not like, you know, the grandma trying to buy your love. It was just it was a very small token of recognition. Like, thank you for working hard tonight. Yeah. Thank you. And that's another one. Yeah. Like, do you know how many people leave work without anybody looking at them and just going, hey, thanks, man. Good job tonight. Just, yeah. It's, it, dude, like, that's it. It's so important. I know as a line cook, now that didn't fix all my problems, but like, there were definitely nights where like, you had a hard night, but you got through it. People yeah. were happy. And, you're, and when you left, the chef would go, Hey, you know, hey, Lee, good job tonight. Thanks. See you tomorrow. And there was just, it's not, for lack of a better expression, it's almost like this instant relief. Like, oh, okay, it's going to be okay. I can't remember where I heard this. It might have been Pat Susie when I worked with him real quick at, um, at the farm table or whatever. Um, I can't remember exactly. The, you know Apple what I'm talking Crest. about. Yeah, Applecrest. Thank you. Love um, Pat Susie. Yeah, he's the man. Uh, but he, I, I, I saw that in him when I worked with him. He made it a point to say thank you and good night to everybody yep. that left. Like their name, Bobby, good night, thank you. But, right. And to see people, to say their name and to thank them is a, takes literally a breath to do that. But it goes a long way. It goes so far. It's and so that's, powerful. I feel like that was kind of the pizza. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Now they still did say, you know, thank you, good night. You know what I mean? Mark was a notorious hugger and to say, and he loves, you know, he takes a very long time to like say goodbye in a room because yeah. he wants to say goodbye to everyone. But like, I just feel like, yeah, like that, like you just said, right? The knowing your name and saying thank you at a event and I, it goes a long way. That was the pizza. Exactly. Little things like that really stuck with me. The importance of the front of the house, the importance of breaking down that like front versus back was definitely ingrained yeah. in me there as well. Dude, I'm loving this conversation. Um, still haven't even t- started talking about Otis yet, but I, I'm, I'm t- so totally cool with it. Um, you grew a lot as a, a business-minded individual working at Annika Jane's. Yes. So again, paint that picture. So wh- Who you were when you entered and who right. you were when you left. All right. So when I entered Confident Chef, and at this time I was really ready to make my mark just in the Portsmouth region, yep. right? Like, people kind of knew me, um, and that sounds wrong. I, and when I say that, I don't mean, like, I was trying to get people to know me. Um, but it it, wasn't, it wasn't an egotistical thing yeah. at all. Um, I'm the first one but it's brand who building, will harp yeah. it's, on it's, my own self. But, yeah. yes, it is brand building. And it's also, like, it's brand building because I knew my goal was to get my own restaurant, right? So, or to eventually own my own restaurant. So, um, Annika Jan's, I knew, was going to be a really good spot for that. Because it was a restaurant that had a great reputation. And then, not saying it didn't have... it. I, I'm not saying it then didn't have a great reputation. But it was, it was just so many new things yeah. popped up. And Annika Jan's was like one of the OGs. Yeah. But then, like, you had a lot of restaurants pop up. Yeah. Both in Kittery... And in Portsmouth. And it was like, not overshadowed, but it was like, hey, let's go check out the this new guy. This is 2000, 
uh, thir- this is 2014. 14. Okay. So real quick, I just want to backpedal a little bit because sure. you kind of felt like you had to defend yourself and saying and like people didn't know me. But here's the thing, and I want to make sure people understand this. People don't invest in ideas and concepts. They invest in people. Right. You have to be known. You have to put yourself out there. You need to create a name. You, you, and, you, and you do that by, by you know, busting your ass, creating a name, right. and networking, and putting yourself out there. So I don't think there's – I think it's important that people are mindful of that. Like, yeah, I mean, it. you're yeah. not – So it's a good – Most thing. people don't invest in no one they've ever heard of ever. Yeah. Right? Um. So I just felt Annika Jans was the right spot. I lived in Kittery. I love the space. I love the size. I love the open kitchen. I ju- I also I it was one of those things where you know the menu didn't change very often. It was definitely um, you know um, I thought the restaurant was really good, and it could be really great. Now <laughs> I'm not saying that I was the one person to come in and make it go from good to great by any means, because that can't happen from one person, yeah, right? That had to be absolutely. a team. But I felt that um, the potential had to be there. And maybe in some ways the owner did because he hired me, mm. right? Um, and him and I became good friends, uh, Jason Canty. So he's a great guy. He's a phenomenal numbers man. Mm. Part of the business, huge. To this day, I still hate. Yeah, right. It's so important. It's, it's all numbers. So, so I got to go back a little bit because you said he, you, know, you helped take it from good to great, and you didn't do it by yourself, but you were a part of it, right? But how do you take something from good to great? So, and I'm not uh, uh, not to correct you. I'm not saying I did take it from good to great. You were, that was my goal. Okay. Was let's get a team in here where we can take it. You know to the level that all the other restaurants at the time that were being talked about more Mm. were. So for me, that was, you know, building a team, right? Um, How do you do that? (laughs) It's very hard. Um, Hiring people, you know, we, unfortunately, uh, we, we kept some people on. Some people literally walked out the day I walked in. Um, (laughs) I'm not exaggerating. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Um, you know, and then uh, when I, when I started, I told Jason that I didn't want to just be an employee. Now I had, you know, and again, I think some of this was coming off of the confidence I had for just being the exec at Arrows and stuff, which was, um, look, I understand I am an employee. I'm the executive chef of the restaurant. But I want to work for you and with you. Mm. Big one there. With you. Like, this is our restaurant. Let's see how great we can make it. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, And I think he liked that because in his head, if I'm going to treat it like it's my own, unless I'm like this insane, you know, person who's going to like, just act like a douche, which you would probably find out pretty quickly. I'm going to work my butt off, even though it's not mine, but treating it like it's mine. But what happens when you do that? So it goes good or bad, <laughs> right? So how do you make sure it goes good? Again, um, people, training, mm. speaking, leading, um, leading by example. I mean, I spent uh, my first two days there, I spent cleaning. 
what okay top to bottom training though give me like like we all like we can take that and and we can interpret in any specific way but paint that picture of what badass training looks like and what you were willing to do to get people to the part where they needed to be so we had some people some people like i said some people left some people were just a few were just stuck in their ways right like this is what annika jans was we're going to do it the way it was. Yeah. No, you're not. You're going to do it this way now. No, we're not. Okay, bye. <laughs> right? It was those but conversations. You, but that's actually a really good thing because they have to be... You have to, ad- you have to adapt. Yeah, and like yeah. this is where we're going. Either you're coming with us or you're not. Or be and, constructive. And they're just going to be dead weight if they don't get off the bus. Right, but there, like, there could have been things that Annika Jans was doing before I got there that were... Um, or the cooks were doing, I should say. Um, cause it's not necessarily the restaurant as a whole. Yeah. Um, that could have been really good, but like be constructive about it, right? Make a, make a case for why, what you think I'm going to change is pointless when you, it's already being done this way. Why is your way better than, than that? Right. Yeah. But it wasn't that it was just more of a, like, you know, fuck you. That's how we used to do it. I don't yeah. want to do it your way. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well then that's not going to work. Yeah. So, you know, I hired a, um, I hired a sous chef. I hired a couple cooks, people I knew and I trusted. And it was just, you know, we, uh, we went to a format of changing the menu almost every week. Um, because I was new, we were up, we had the ability to be reviewed again. Yep. Um, Rachel Forrest, who, um, I'm a fan of and has, you know, very, been very, very kind to me. Um, over the years, I mean, she reviewed me at Bonta. Um, she did a review and a write-up of us. I also took it upon myself to, to get into that community of chefs um, because I, I knew them, but not very well. Like, I knew, I knew them. I'd seen them at, you know, Taste of the Nation, but I can't say that I was friends with all of them. Yeah. Um, so I started, you know, involving myself in yes, in I'm, in stuff like dude, that. Dude, I'm I've been sitting on this because I know that you are a huge part of Chefs After Dark. Is that the? Yeah, that was a collaboration of you and Dave David. Vargas and yeah. I. Yeah, he's one of my best friends. And I've been I love David. He was a recent guest on the show. He um, was. He recommended we talk to you. Uh, so that's one of the big reasons why we're here. Um, I hired David at MC Perkins Co. That's yeah. how we met. And now I. He had like just moved here and just needed uh, a job. He was way beyond being a line cook. I just don't think I think at the time where he was, he didn't necessarily want to do the running of everything. He walked in. I saw L.A. on his resume. I was like, yo, I'm from L.A. Come back tomorrow. (laughs) And uh, like we worked together. It was very ironic because when he left, he left to go to Bonta. Right. I was like, this is weird in full circle. <laughs> so, like, people always, you know, I always tell everyone, like, Dave Vargas never worked for me. I I was very fortunate enough to work with yeah. David Vargas. But He's a awesome. beast. And I, the dude was in my wedding. Heart of gold, man, too. Yeah. Um, he was in my wedding. He's literally the reason I had a bow tie on my wedding day, <laughs> to be truthfully honest. I yeah. So, um, but the point the, the, with the chefs after dark, because yes. we started talking about you couldn't have done it without your team. And I was curious was this intentional to like put yourself out there to network, to find people, to recruit people? Was that part of the angle or what was going on? It wasn't. It was literally just um, him and I were fans of a show that had a similar concept. 
And we were like, why don't we do this around here? Yeah. And I think at the time, he was the executive chef of Bonta. Yeah. And I was at Annika Jane's. I was like, why don't we do it at Annika's? Because we have that open kitchen. Yeah. Um, and then the bar separate. And then we made flyers and we walked around Portsmouth and we went into like Kava and Moxie and all these places and we're like, here's a flyer. Like, would you be interested in doing this? Yeah, and, but at the same time, you're meeting, you're connecting with Greg Sessler. Yeah, and exactly. Lewis yep. and like you're, you're, there's so much power in that, man, to, to, to bring people together, to network. Then now you're sharing ideas. Yeah. You're making it fun. I mean, and now I'm very, very fortunate that I, everyone you just mentioned on top of a lot of other people, I am have the ability to call friends of mine. Yeah, all which because is of this thing. All, yeah, I mean, yeah, essentially. And, and also, like, the, there were a few other things, you know, like doing the barn dinner and pharmacue and, you know, like, it wasn't like uh, Jason Canty was like, hey, go do that. It was me going, hey, can I go represent Annika Jans and do this? Yeah. You know, and I'm thankful that Jason was like, go, like, do it. You know what I mean? If, this whole time I've been saying Annika Jans, I apologize. I, I could be wrong, too, though. <laughs> Who uh, really, I don't think Jans. anyone ever really right. knows. Uh, That's a, I, That would be a good question for Jason Canty. <laughs> yeah. How do you pronounce the name of the restaurant I, mean, I worked I, at? I don't know if it was intentional, but it, if it had been, it would have been just such a good move, man. Because I think there's just, yeah. there's you cannot undervalue the power or just you just can't undervalue a good network. And a good it was also a lot of fun. Yeah, fun. I mean, to be truthfully honest, it was fun. So but, we reached out. Chefs had interest. I talked to Jason. That was kind of a crazy conversation, right? Because you're like, hey, a chef from another restaurant and I, we want to re- use your restaurant at like midnight and have 80 people show up drinking while they watch two chefs cook food in your kitchen. What do you think? And he was like, what? And I was, I, I think I kind of like slid it on. I think I slid it in two ways or three ways. One was, I think he knew it was kind of a cool idea. Yeah. Two, it kind of took, you know, knowing that it would be at, at Annika Jan's and it was a lot of like industry people and younger cooks because they wanted to see all these chefs that yeah, they knew man. cook. It kind of made it sounds so cheesy, but like it kind of made Annika Jan's like kind of like the cool hip spot, right? Because that's where it was happening. But it is cool, and it, it, um, it wasn't like it was. It was a really yeah. cool thing. And then you were cool and hip, like it was cool. And then you know, I looked at Jason and I was like, "And you get the bar sales, yeah. <laughs> and and our industry is a drinking industry, even though I don't drink at all. But like our industry is a drinking industry, and like you can keep all the bar sales. We're not looking for any money." Like, I will be here. Like, I will run my shift. I will shut the restaurant down. I will clean. I will set up. Like, I will figure out all the food they're going to use out of my walk-in. I'm eating it on my food cost. Not that... I think there was, like, one time that backfired on me with, like, one chef that came in. But, you know, like, we don't want any money. So, you have the potential for 80 people... At yeah, one or no. two drinks apiece. So he was like, yeah. The let's, numbers, guys. Yeah, yeah. Are perking up so there. he's like, yeah, let's let's try one, see how it goes. You know, there was obviously just other concerns, right? Like 30 or 40 people at 1 o'clock in the morning standing outside your restaurant ripping butts, being yeah. loud. Like, no, I hear you, you don't necessarily want that. But, yeah. you know, we were able to contain it. People 
you know, let's not underestimate, you know, people for the most part, 98%, 99% of everyone that showed up was super respectful. Yeah. It wasn't like this. They just really wanted like, it was a Tuesday Dude, night. I, what are you going to do on a Tuesday night? Let's go watch two badass chefs cook. Yeah, I think we've driven home the point of how yeah. of how much. I know it wasn't intentional, but like it's just. I encourage people who are listening to this to do try to try to do similar things. Get creative. Bring people together. Share a passion. A lot of good stuff can come from that. Um, you also mentioned that Jason was kind of like the the numbers dude. Great what, at numbers. What did he teach you about numbers? Like how did he elevate your number game? So he just it was just a it was like the importance of it and really understanding what the numbers meant and really understanding like which numbers to look at um, and you know and and knowing them like the back of your hand yeah. right like. Oh, look at that. Which numbers did he teach you? Which numbers weren't you looking at before his imp- impression on you? So a lot of the numbers I wasn't looking at were probably like labor numbers, right? I was maybe looking at them in a very brief overview. Yeah. But like the, you know, not just back of the house labor, front of the house labor, yeah. the effect of it. Like, yeah. dude, you're standing around. Yeah. Go home. Yeah. Right? Like go home exactly like it's it's not going to happen tonight we're not going to be busy do i want to close the kitchen by myself hell no but i'm going to go home yep. little things like that um you know like the um some of it sounds funny but like the, you know really looking at that like gross net versus gross number yeah you know i'd like i would sometimes look at the number on the computer at the end of the night and be like oh my god we did that he'd be like dude Okay, <laughs> go down to net, and I'd be like, oh, and then he'd be like, okay, now subtract this, this, and this, and this. Oh, wait, how much did you spend today on that? Okay, now take that away. Yeah. Now here's your number, and I'd be like, oh, that sucks. Do you know where he learned this? Like, I think he's, I mean, not for, well, yes and no. I mean, so his dad is in the financial world. Um Jason's a very, he's a very, very smart guy. Um, He worked, you know, he had opened, before he bought Annika Jans, he had opened uh, the Shipyard Brew Pub in Elliott. Okay. And right, like those guys are, that's a numbers game when you're getting into that company, you know. Um, Wait, Shipyard, like like the Apple Pumpkin Spice Shipyard Brew Pub? Not yeah, pumpkin spice. Whatever. That it might as well be apple yeah. pumpkin spice. Yeah. But um, yeah, <laughs> okay. there's there's one in Elliot. Gotcha. Um, I mean, there's a lot of them. I'm right? just making sure I'm. I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. Specific. So you know, you can essentially. I think you can like essentially buy in and. Got it. I'm not really sure exactly how that works, but you know, that's a big numbers thing, right? Like yeah. those guys want to see um, numbers, and I always like right. Can I run a food cost? Yes. We would hope that every chef that's yeah. listening to this. Or it's any just an element. It's just an element. It's yeah. part of it. But there's so much more to it yeah. than that. So, okay. It was around this time people are telling you, chef, you got to open your own place. You got to open your own place. Right. Um, take us through like when that, that those conversations, is the, I mean, you always wanted to open your own place. I did. It was always the goal. Yep. So when did you start like really making moves to make that happen? So um, the first moves I made <laughs> were... <laughs> were um, actually kind of funny. I literally called. So Jason wanted me, him and I, again, were, were good friends. He wanted me to have some equity in Annika Jans, uh, potentially like through sweat equity. Um, 
but there was um, outside factors that he was trying to deal with that weren't allowing that to happen. Nothing bad. Yeah. Just, you know, a situation, I think like an outside investor or whatnot, um, really not even my place. Um, but it was keeping him from just being like, through your sweat equity, here's yeah. this percentage, right? So it looked like it, w- it was headed that direction. Maybe it wasn't headed there necessarily fast enough for me. Also, you know, it's that like, do I want... 20% of this or 100% of that, yeah. right? Like, I would rather have 100% and also just be... It wasn't even the 100%. You know, it was... Self-expression, maybe. It was, it was the, like, I've been doing this for so long. I want to know if I can take everything that I've learned and the image of, like, what it's going to look like and the food we're going to serve and the plates it's going to be on and the art that's going to be on the walls and the music playing in the background... And it's all me. And are people going to get it? Yeah. Because at the end of the day, if they do, that's fucking dope. Yeah. So you're quoted as saying that this is the natural fit or the, like this natural fit for the concept you had in mind was the space we're sitting in right now. Yeah. So what was this? Why was this the natural fit? So real quick, when, when I first decided, all right, I want to open my own restaurant, I literally called like a commercial realtor. And he showed me a couple spaces in downtown Portsmouth. And um, one of them that, me sh- that he showed me, it was cool. And I was like, all right, you know. And he, he's asking me money questions. And I'm lying through my ass. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I'm good. I have investors. We're all set. Like, don't worry about it. I don't have a pot to piss in, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. literally, like, you know, how we, like, looking at my wife, like, you know, we have rent. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or we have our mortgage payment, like, uh, you know. So it was one of those things. It was almost like that. Like, if I just get the ball rolling, it's there's truth. To that, maybe man. it's just going to maybe I'll catch a break. Yeah. Something's going to happen. Dude, I'm, I'm watching Star Wars right now. And there's so much like truth to like the force, like the light. You yeah. Know? And just like I have going, Obi-Wan on my line. There's, it's yeah. Just, there's, that's um, not Jesus. It's Obi-Wan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everyone asks. But that's true. And like, I think it's like episode seven or eight. One of the mo- more recent ones. And uh, Finn is talking about like they going to like rescue um, Ray. Right. Yeah. And um, he's like, I don't have a plan. I just, it's just the force. Right. Right. And there's truth of just putting yourself out there and you have to just go for it. And like the, the force sometimes the powers that be will, you know, show up. Yeah. I mean, they may not, let's be honest, but they definitely won't if you don't do shit. Exactly. You know, I just just knew that nobody was going to knock on my door at my house and I would wake up like with a cup of coffee in my hand, open the door and be like, hey, you don't know me, but I have a couple hundred thousand dollars in an empty space. You want to open up a restaurant? And I'd be like, hang on. It's early. Let me take my first sip. Fuck yes. Yeah. Like that wasn't happening. Right. The answer is yes. What's yeah. the question? And I like I didn't have family. I have family. I didn't have family. I mean, they supported me a little bit. You know, uh, there was small investment. When I opened Otis, I, you know, I reached out to my entire family and said, look, if anybody wants to give me money, like, you name your terms, blah, blah, blah. A couple people did, you know, and were like, here you go. Not enough to open, but, you know, better than nothing. Very thankful. Um, but I also knew, like, there was no trust fund. I don't know anyone that has, but it, I'm sure it's <laughs> happened, right? There was... Yeah. No trust fund for me to like open this restaurant. Yeah. So anyways, I'm standing online 
at um, Annika Jan's. My phone, there's, I get a voicemail, right? I'm in the middle of plating food. It's me and my sous chef, a kid by the name of Justin Hewitt. Super talented kid. I know Justin. Yeah. Now an electrician. But uh, he got in a bad car accident. Not to he get up. did. Yeah. yeah. How's he doing? Good. Yeah, he's okay, fine. We don't have to get into this. Yeah, yeah. That that one scared the heck out of me. Yeah. He was working for Evan Hennessy at the time. Yeah. yeah, I remember when that went down. Uh, now he's an electrician. He just got. What's up, Justin? I know he just got married. He's a great dude. I see him. Glad to hear. Yeah, yeah. So um, I looked at him. I was like, we we finished plating. I was like, dude, I'm just gonna. I don't know why, but I'm, I'm gonna go check my voicemail. I'm gonna step outside real quick. Like he's like, oh, okay, like. I don't know why you're telling me that because we have no tickets on the board. But um, I went outside and there was a voicemail from a gentleman named Augustino Nunes who owns the Inn by the Band Center. He's like, hey, you don't know me, but um, I've eaten at Annika Jan's and Arrows. I heard through the grapevine that you're looking at spaces. The force, man. Fuck, yeah, right? <laughs> I heard you're looking at spaces. I have a unique opportunity I'd love to talk to you about. Give me a call. I called him back. Blah, blah, blah. He's like, why don't you come to Exeter tomorrow? I said, sure. I went back inside. I looked at Justin. He goes, what's up? Everything okay? I was like, all right, don't tell anyone, but holy fuck. You know what I mean? Like, what? Like, okay. Blah, blah, blah. So I come down. First, I had a ways how to get to Exeter, right? <laughs> Sorry, Exeter. I had a ways how to get to Exeter. I come down. I look at the space. It looked nothing like what we're seeing right now. Um, I spoke with Augustino. He already had a concept of what the restaurant should have been. He had been working with another chef who I actually knew um, from a food truck. Um, and I guess things didn't work out with them. And he was like, okay, now what do I do? He, again, he got a hold of me. He showed me his concept. There was an entire floor plan laid out. I went home. I talked to my wife, and she said, what do you think? And I said, their floor plan and concept sucks. It's nothing I want to do. She goes, well, what about the space? I go, it's tiny, but it could be fucking dope. She goes, you have nothing to lose. Like, you're already at Annika Jan's. He might, you might end up with a percentage of that company tell them that you like the space but you hate the concept and if you want to do it you'll take the space but you're going to do your own thing yeah so i called him back and i was like hey can we meet tomorrow and he goes sure i said look I, let's just meet i want to talk to you about a couple things and i want to show you something he goes okay i come down we sit down i talk to him i go look i mean zero disrespect and if you want to end the conversation after this i totally understand no harm no foul i love the space the concept you want to do is nothing I'm interested in. And I can't give you my full self. I can't be true to me. I yes. can't do me. Yes. Right? With your concept. But this is what I want to do. We were in the parlor of the inn. I said, I want to walk in the front door of the space. And when we walk in, I'm going to describe to you what I see. And if you like it, let's have another conversation. Yes. If not, no harm, no foul. He's like, okay, this is weird, but okay. We walk in the door. I go, look, I see three tables here. I see two tables here. I see a bar. I see me looking back at you the moment you walk in with an open kitchen and seats on the counter, blah, 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 blah. He goes, all right, let me think about it. He calls me back. He goes, why don't you come down to Exeter? I come down. He goes, we like it. You know, let's make the project work. And 
two months two months later we broke ground i love it man and, yeah. and, and what i can't help but think and the, the power of communication um just say what you want say what you're thinking and put it out there you got to yeah. put it out you got to let it be known. i mean if you ask my wife the say what you're thinking part i probably need to work on <laughs> but you know i think there's a lot of power in transparency because people will know exactly where yeah. you are and and that's it's I, I believe in that so much that i made it one of our core values that we communicate because yeah. you have to let people know where you're at you have to communicate we don't read minds no and, not at and, all and minds are so much more powerful when they come to come together and communicate you know we can compound right you know it's compounding power yeah uh, it's so huge i mean and i'm very thankful to my wife for giving me like literally just a, she was pregnant at the time, so I'm like, we should not be doing this right now. <laughs> you know, like I like I have a paycheck. Yeah, who knows how long it'll be before I could actually take money out of a business? You know. Yeah. But she was like, look, if you don't do it, you're gonna be pissed. This is your opportunity, and you know, for her to say, look, just go tell them how you feel. Yeah. Because you have nothing to lose. But, but, but you have to start in that right. relationship but like that. Sometimes you just need an outside ear. To tell you. Yep. Because in Permission. my head, yeah, like in my head, I probably was saying like, well, just tell him you don't like the concept. But without her going, sit down and tell him, I probably wouldn't be here right yeah. now. You know what I mean? You yep. just Sometimes you just, yeah, permission yeah. or just that one person on the outside to be like. I get it, man. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you know, we, we, we broke ground uh, and we got open September 16th, 2016. Yeah. And, uh. Oh man, like four years into this. Dude, the fact that it's four years is absolutely like, it's so mind boggling to me. I remember I, I putting a business it. card on your door just Dude. to like learn more about your story. And I remember <laughs> putting, I remember putting the Otis decal, which is not that one. Cause we messed it up and had to have the company do it the right way. But I remember like putting the Otis decal on. I remember having my parents in here cause they were visiting, peeling the like, shit off the stainless steel you know like the protective film i mean i could remember every moment of it the first time i sat down with my staff and you know and i gave them the speech of uh you know good service will save you know me putting out a crappy meal but if i put out a really good meal and you got your service sucks we're hosed and you know what i mean and and uh i stole a line from evan hennessy um Hi, Evan. He had a thing hanging on his walk-in for a long time. I don't know if he still has it, but it, all it says is um, it says three or thirty. Yes, yes, dude. Yeah. I love that. I'm, so you, you get into it. I know. Exactly yeah, yeah. What you're talking so about. he had it was printed out and he had it taped on his walk-in. Um, and Evan Hennessy and I are, are we're good friends. And um, and in a lot of ways, you know, and Dave Vargas are mentors to me as well. I mean, um, you know, friends and, and colleagues, yes. but can still be mentors as well. So he has three or 30. And I remember giving the telling my my staff this like I think it was like the first night we went live, like we had done a couple soft openings. But the first night we went, I was like, guys, just remember three or 30. Now we're going to do more than 30 because obviously I had reservations and we're the new guy. Right. But yeah. and they were like, we don't get it, chef. Like, what does that mean? And I was like, it doesn't matter if we're doing three people or 30 people. Everybody gets the same service. Everybody gets the same food. Everyone is treated the same. In fact, it's harder to do three yep. than it is to do 30. Because when you're doing 30, 
you find a groove yes. and you're just you like you're just moving right yep. you're like okay like they need more water i gotta re-silver them fire a steak i need to get a beef going i need to make yeah. a seven blah, blah blah but when it's three you're like twiddling your thumbs yep. and you're like that's unhappy yeah and you're like oh <laughs> sh- oh like you you know the now the table person at the table is like you know, uh, yeah. I, this soup would be really good if I had a spoon. It's, 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 it's you know? funny you're mentioning this. Jared and I were literally just having this conversation yesterday, and there's this bell curve um, that exists. With and I learned about this when I was a commercial pilot with Human Factors that we do better, a lot better, exponentially better with a certain level of stress because yep. we're alert, and we're aware. Yeah. Um, and as soon as and, and that that bell curve will drop off once you hit a breaking point when you get too overwhelmed right but it also drops off when you're too lackadaisical yeah and and it, that's you why. miss too much exactly because you're not thinking about it you're and not again like it's that but like you're just not in a groove right yeah. like going back to like mc right like when we did i think like i hold um, not me personally but like the team that we had at the time we hold the record it was like 415 covers in one night yeah it's like the most that they've ever done that's crazy and it went Super smoothly, yeah. and why? Because like we all just hit a pocket. No, not, we, okay. yeah, we all just hit a pocket <laughs> and a groove, and you're going right. Yeah, that sure. is very hard to do when you have one two top in the wall in so, the restaurant. I mean, I'm loving everything that you're dropping on us today. Um, I want to get into a little bit about basically just you know first time restaurant owner. Yeah, um, we're talking about a lot of the good, a lot of the big lessons. Right. But what, what? Give me some of the shit that you went through some of the hard stuff you, the things you learned the hard way right as a business owner that you can share with others so they don't make the same right mistake. you know i'm not going to say there was nothing hard it's all kind of hard yeah. the day-to-day of it but i have honestly been very blessed and very fortunate like i always often joke around like since the day otis opened till well let's just say pre-covid um like one of the only things that ever really changed was the location of the coffee maker. It's crazy, right? Like most, I remember, um, early on I had Matt Lewis in for dinner. He was sitting on the chef's counter and, uh, you know, whether he was blowing smoke up my ass or not, who knows? And even if he was, thank you, Matt. But I remember him looking at me after dinner and going, you're, you're, you're the one right now. Like you're, He's like, I own two restaurants in New England and you're the guy. Mm. You know, he's like, how, how much have you changed since your soft openings? And I was like, I moved the coffee maker. <laughs> and he was, he was, you know, he looked at me and he was like, like, fuck you. You know what I mean? <laughs> he's like, when we opened so-and-so, we did, we're doing this and this and now we're doing that. Like, I don't know. I don't know if it was just like the stars aligned. Who knows? But, but dude, I think your whole career was you evolving and yeah, changing and realizing just, what wasn't right. It just right. kind of worked, right? And it was so different from everything else in Do Exeter. You, man. Do you. That's the other right. angle, too. You were doing you from day one. And people, like, I remember everyone was going like, dude, no one's going to get it, right? Like, I literally, like, you walk into my restaurant, it's extremely minimal. It's loud. That was, that's our biggest complaint. Your restaurant's too loud. Like you should put stuff on the ceilings or stuff I on the walls. Almost hear your voice in the bat in the mic it's, to prove it right yeah. now. It's it's hear. a loud restaurant. Yeah. It's all hard surfaces and tall ceilings. Yeah. Right. And there's nothing softening the sound. And I like a loud restaurant. Right. Yeah. Like I want when you come in, like you know, you get that like, oh, I feel like I could be in New York or Boston or like I'm like, yeah, you feel like that, but you're not. Look outside. You're in downtown Exeter, yeah. staring at the bandstand. Literally, stand. like the iconic. Yeah, yeah. You can't get a. Downtown you just can't get a better look. Yeah. I was very fortunate, you know. But other things, people were like, you know, like you're blaring hip hop, right? And not 
always seeking out the clean version. Right. You know, and I was like, if, you know, we're all adults eating in here. Now, I'm not going to play. There are some songs that come on where I'm like, oop, skip. Right. But for the most part, like, if an F bomb is dropped in a song, I don't like twinge because we're all adults. And really, when it's bustling in here, it's background noise, yeah, when, right? When but Cardi B's yeah, on I the radio. Mean, I mean, I don't switch. necessarily do that because I'm, I'm a different generation than that. But I know what you mean, right? Yeah. So. You know, but people were like, they're they're not going to get it. Like, I have Banksy hanging on the walls. And, you know, a friend of mine who's an, a really talented artist, like, I bought Tupac and Biggie yeah. that are on my wall. I love it. You know, and we bounce between, like, Motown and hip-hop and all this stuff. And people are like, dude, you're in Exeter. Like, you're offering a tasting menu. Yeah. No one's going to get it. And guess what it. else? No one else is doing it either. Right. Now and, you have a unique selling proposition. Yeah, and the thing, the only reason, you know, and the, Rachel did a, a write-up on us early on it was like her review and if you read it and i can't remember verbatim but there's a brief synopsis at one point where she just says like the restaurant is an uh, like a a great expression of lee frank's food and personality because really it was that right like it was me doing me like but how much easier is it for you to show up every day it's so much easier exactly i mean matters show up and that's and you know and that's what it came down to was it was just like if I'm going to fail, I'm going to fail doing me. Yes. But if I succeed, I'm going to succeed doing me. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean me doing it alone all by myself. Yeah. You can't do that. Yeah. Right. That's something that most chefs have to learn. Right. You you can't do it all. You have to have people to help. Mm-hmm. You have to have a team, and you have to have people that you trust. But, but I also think the, that by putting your true, authentic self out there, you're also attracting onto yourself the people that are like, "I jive with this. This is my thing." Yeah, and you can you can multiply. I mean, we were very fortunate. We got a lot of people that did that would come in and be like, "I've lived in Exeter for thirty years, and we've been waiting for something like this." Yeah. You know, like now that doesn't mean. Look, there's other restaurants in Exeter that are really good. Like, you know, Blue Moon, which is behind me, they've been there forever and their food is very good, you know? And she wished me well when she found out I was coming. She was like, good for you. Kath the more Lynn, the merrier. Yeah. Lynn is the, the she passed guests on the show. She's awesome. Awesome. You know, and I saw her at Taste of the Nation. She's like, I hear you're coming. Because Taste of the Nation of 2015. Nope. 2016 I guess that was like my last hurrah for Annika Jans right like I pretty much after that event I was like done yeah because we were building this out whatnot so I saw her there she's like I hear you're coming you know and blah 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 and she was you know and I was I was kind of waiting for the like you know and I knew that's not her but I you know you're kind of waiting for the like the like sarcastic backhanded good luck like do you know like but it wasn't. It was a genuine, like, if you need anything, yes. let me know. Yes. Like, she was just awesome. And it was like, the more, the merrier. And I feel that. Like, there's a restaurant that opened yes. down the street called Vino y Vivo. And the gentleman who owned it is a gentleman that retired. His name is Tony Calandreo. And I remember when he opened or was opening that restaurant, he put out an article. And in part of that article, he wrote, um, I mean, not necessarily, again, paraphrasing, but like if it wasn't for Lee Frank opening Otis and seeing that something of that caliber could survive in this town, I don't know if I would open this now. Yeah. You know, and um, that was a huge compliment. 
Um, I'm very thankful for that. And, you know, it, it wasn't, and I wasn't trying to do that. Like I wasn't trying, it's funny. Like I wasn't trying to come to Exeter and I never like looked around and went like, maybe this is a bad advice or maybe not advice at all. Just my story. But like, I never looked around and said, what is Exeter missing? Like, what does Exeter need? What does the demographics say that they want? Mm. It, that was not it. It was literally just like, I'm going to open my restaurant exactly how yeah. I want to open it. And like, fuck, let's hope it works. Yep. You know? And I think it's important to, to, to point out that that doesn't always work. No, no. <laughs> everybody wants what no, you want. No, that's true. It, but it, at the same time, very seldom this, does it probably work. This industry work. is only rewarding, I feel like, when you're doing what you want. And it's not worth doing anything because you're not going to make a ton of money you know you can over time i mean it's possible but like in order for you to show up the way you need to show up it has to be an extension of you and and maybe whatever you want to do find out wherever that place is that will do well you know go to where you will do well exactly don't expect like don't conform to where you are right and i feel like part of the success is that we were different than what exeter had seen yeah. Right. Like we were granted COVID has changed that. Right. But yeah. we were, you That's know, changing though. I think we were hip hop and, <laughs> you know, we were hip hop and loud and minimal and trying to do like, you know, quote unquote, high end fine dining food in like a super casual environment. And, you know, we we offered a five course tasting menu on top of all the cart and we were extremely farm to table and, and, and are, I should say. And, you know, little things like that. And I think there was there's just this demographic within Exeter's community that was like, yeah. this is what yeah. we want. This is what we need. I remember some nights where. You know, eleven thirty, like my bar is still full, and like Digital Underground's Humpty Dance comes on at the end of the night. No, they're like all the tables are gone. It's like people drinking Friday, Saturday night, and I like grab my iPhone because we use like Sonos, so I open like the Sonos app and turn it up, and now I have like. 15 people at a bar, like all <laughs> all drinking, singing along to the Humpty Dance. And I'm looking at my bartender like, it's 1130 <laughs> on a Saturday in Exeter. This is great, like, though. win, right? Yes, dude. I love I, it. I, I, I don't know. It's it's cool. Dude, I've loved this conversation. Thank it's, you. It's 2 o'clock. I told you it would be wrapped up no at worries. 2 o'clock. Um, I'm any, long-winded. Anything we haven't gotten out to this point that um, you want to get out before we go to the speed round? It will be a true speed round. Yeah, yeah. No, I think, uh, you know, I think I've got my point across, which is, you know, you got to be willing to put in the work, yep. you know, you can't, don't ask people to do things you're not willing to do yourself and really like put yourself in a position to get you to your final goal yeah. and do you. Yeah. And I'm going to compound on that. And a big lesson I pulled is do it together, do it with other people, uh, come together. Don't like get Kath Glant when you came to town, welcome to town. And it's always those that, that come together, that support one another, that go further. And don't look at people in your in your neighborhood as competition. Look right. at them as comrades. The more, the merrier. Absolutely, yeah. man. I love it. It um, just brings light to the town. Yeah. You know what I mean? So the mission statement is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. Real quick, how have you transformed over the past 20 years? Oi. Well, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not like a addicted punk little kid anymore <laughs> who's just cooking to like, you know, 
pay like bills, bills and, yeah. and, a, and a habit, um, which, you know, is unfortunate. But the reality of the situation, uh, you know, like now I think the big transform it's, you know, the, the big transformation has really been like just per, like me on a personal level. Like, you know, my goal with Otis, besides opening up a restaurant that people enjoyed was also working for myself to be able to enjoy my wife and children, yeah, man. you know, and to be able to say like, you know, we're not going to open Thanksgiving. Yep. I'm going to be it with my family as opposed to working for somebody who's like, Hey, we're open on Thanksgiving. I'll see you at four o'clock in the morning to put the fucking turkeys in. Yeah, man. I love this. I've loved this conversation. One more quick break. We'll be right back to bust out a true speed round. Today's episode is brought to you by seven shifts. Seven shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs and effective labor management is more important than ever to ensure your profitability and restaurant success. Trusted by over 400 restaurant professionals, seven shifts gives you the tools you need to streamline labor operations, communicate with your team and retain your talent. Best of all, seven shifts integrates with the POS and payroll system you already use and trust like toast turning labor into a competitive advantage for you and your business to get three months absolutely free head over to www.sevenshifts.com slash unstoppable that's the number seven s-h-i-f-t-s dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free get on it Head over to toasttab.com slash unstoppable to find out why Toast POS is the number one recommended POS on the show by a landslide. So there's a bunch of reasons why Toast is being recommended on the show, but I'm finding the most common reason is because of their customer support. And now, while I don't think you'll need their customer support all the time, it when that Friday night rolls around and there is a question you have and you're busy, you're going to wish you were able to get right into that customer support and they will be there for you. Uh, the other reason why Toast is always being recommended on the show is because of how many other platforms integrate with Toast. So you can literally marry all the technologies in your company together. They'll, they'll work together. They integrate together and you can turn on these additional features as you need them. It's like flipping a switch. It's that easy. So that's why I love toast. That's why my guests love toast. And again, if you want to learn more, head over to toasttab.com slash unstoppable. And when you use that link, I'll send you a check for a thousand dollars when you become a customer. All right, we're back. And the first question I have for you is what is your it? factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success. One word to a sentence on these. We'll wrap up quick. Hardworking. What is your biggest weakness? Sarcasm. Oh my, I'm right there with you, brother. I actually just got called out for it the other day publicly. <laughs> oh, what is one question you ask or things you look for during the interview process when you're growing your team? That's a good one. I should know that, right? Um, I uh, probably what's your uh, what's your biggest weakness? What is your biggest challenge today? COVID nineteen, and uh, we usually get into that a little bit more. But I want to respect your time. Sure. Um, what it like? I mean, fine dining. I get it. Not meant to be played. Not meant to be taken out. Um, how are you overcoming it? Um, that would take more than one word. But we 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 
like pivoted when we had a pivot. Yeah. So uh, when it went to takeout only, my menu doesn't really translate to yeah. takeout food. Um, we slung fried chicken, man. Whatever and I literally had a line down but the block. Dude, that is so freaking smart because it's not being done here. So you said right. we can't do what we're doing. What can we do that's not being done to get us through this? Yeah, we tried. You did one thing really well. Yeah, we tried a few things. Um, I'm actually in the process of opening another restaurant. So nice. um, we kind of like played with that concept a little bit here, which is nothing crazy. It's a, um, it's literally a very straightforward, simple burger joint. Nice. Um, but like we did fried chicken and then it turned into fried chicken Fridays. And at one point, literally my sous chef and I were cooking like 250 orders of fried chicken. I love it, dude. And that oh, saved my restaurant. Beautiful. So smart. Yeah. And, and I, then when we went to indoor dining, I got rid of my a la carte menu and went to tasting menu only. I love it, dude. What is one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team? This is a core value, a way to be. Uh, politeness. What Please, is, thank you. I love it. What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? We already talked about service being so important. What do you teach your team to go above and beyond? Every guest is is important. You can't just take care of the guests you think have money or will tip you well. Yes, you never know. You don't. Who you you're cannot to. judge a book by the they cover. They could be your future investor. They we, could be a business partner. We have a gentleman that comes in here who is the most unassuming person, and literally, the guy owns like. Homes in four states, his own plane. It's like, and you would never they know. They could it. be the founders of TED Talk. You don't know. <laughs> uh, what is one thing you feel restaurant tours don't do well enough or often enough? Adapt. Mm, I love it. Uh, what is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant operator? Restaurant for dummies. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what is one service you've hired or outsourced? Payroll. Who are you using? Paychecks. Paychecks is the name of the company? Yeah. I literally do everything else myself. <laughs> uh, what is one piece of technology you've adopted in your business that's had a huge impact on your operation? Open table? Yep. Yeah. yeah. And, and I'm not computer tech savvy at all. No, but. that's a good one, man. And I think they've pivoted a lot over the years uh, to kind of re yeah, their name. There's a lot of platforms out there. They all reach out to me. I don't yeah. know. For me, it, it seems like Open Table has like they're the one that has the most visibility. Yep. I could be wrong, yeah. but, but there's yeah. some big players coming to me. But Open Table is definitely still yep. one of the strong ones. And this is the last question. It's a doozy. Get ready for it. <laughs> if you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow, and all the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be gone with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy. What would those three pieces of wisdom be? The looks I get when I ask this question. I'm such a dick. Love yourself. <laughs> yep. Take care of others. Yes. Be you. I love it, man. This has been such a great chat. We wrap up every conversation by calling somebody out. So who is one person you respect and admire and believe would make a great guest mentor like you've made for us today? Evan Hennessy. Stages at One Washington. Yeah. Um, I love Evan. He's been on the show twice. Ah, right. there you go. <laughs> so I, so if, if since he's been on the show twice, I would also throw out Jason Miller. Jason Miller, look yeah. out. Coming after you. Would love to get you on the show. And uh, what if we want to come join your team? Uh, how can we connect with you? Um. You can, uh, via Facebook, Lee Frank, via Instagram, at Chef Lee Frank. You can call the restaurant, 603-580-1705, the restaurant website, otisrestaurant.com, or you can email me at 
Lee at OtisRestaurant.com. All the information. I love it. And this is episode 766. So head over to RestaurantUnstoppable.com slash 766. And we'll link to any tools, service, a summary of today's conversation, and how to connect with Chef Lee Frank all over there. Uh, Again, I can't do what I do without people like you being so generous with their time and knowledge. So just thank you so much. There is no question you are unstoppable. I appreciate it. And thank you for bringing... uh allowing uh, all of us to have a voice dude it's my pleasure cheers cheers there we go another episode wrapped up here at restaurant unstoppable chef lee frank man wow it was such a blast hanging out with you thank you so much for coming on the show sharing your story your knowledge your mentorship and your values i think your values really shown through today uh and it was it was fun to make an example of that but as far as the topics that really stuck out to me or stood out to me uh Sticking to your guns and doing you. I think knowing who you are, discovering who you are, and staying true to who you are will get you so, so much further ahead in this industry. And beyond that, I think it will make you happier. Let's be honest. Like, we're not going to all be millionaires in this industry. uh, But when you show up to something that is an extension of who you are, your values, your interests, your passions, your strengths, when you lean into who you are, it just makes showing up to work that much easier. I, and I believe that. Um, and there are some people that would very much argue with what we're saying right now and say, hey, you you got to give the market what they want and you got to think with the end in mind. And there's some truth to that. I'm not going to lie. But I think it depends on what you're going for, honestly. Um, also, in this episode, uh, work ethic. You got to give before you get. You got to show up. You got to hustle. You got to. You, you will be recognized. You will be seen. It won't be easy, but you got to give. And not only to others, you got to give to yourself. You got to show up at 8 a.m. when your shift doesn't start until 3 p.m. to learn more skills, to show people that you want it. You got to give before you get. And then also, I love this, this uh, idea of coming together and looking at the other people in your community, the other restaurant professionals and chefs or hospitality front of house people you got to look at these people and come together and collaborate with them you you will go further together i promise you that and that and it's so obvious that that lee and his um group of friends in the new hampshire seacoast and southern maine and i see it time and time again in my travels across the country the people at the top of their game they're all friends they all know each other they all share knowledge they come together and i think that might be a big reason why they're at the top because they're willing to do these things. They're willing to come together. They're willing to share knowledge. They're willing to support one another. And you have to be willing to do it, too, if you want to be the best in the game. I, I, I believe that full heartedly. So uh, awesome stuff today, guys. As always, please support the show. Share this episode uh, with anybody and everybody you know who's aspiring to be great in this industry. And until next time, peace out.